1: Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Knee, Zach Lawsteed And we are over the midway point of the season now. And unfortunately for Florida State, the last three weeks have, have not been kind. A brutal stretch of, of games of opponents, Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson, ends with a 34 28 loss to the Tigers. And FSU's on a three game skid, entering this bye week with a pivotal stretch coming up in the back half. So, gentlemen, Let's get going on this. Uh, I'll start with you, Chris. What were your thoughts of the FSU Clemson game live, and then getting a chance to rewatch it yesterday morning? Do you feel any differently about it than you did in the press box on on Saturday evening?
2: No, I felt the same both times. I thought FSU started splendidly, great opening script, competitive out of the first fifteen to twenty minutes. Bush whacked in the middle eight and completely annihilated at that point, pretty much put into a hole that they weren't going to overcome, barring playing very perfectly down the stretch. similar Some to somewhat how the wake second half played out in the sense of you had to play really, really good down the stretch to have a chance to beat a better team than you. The opening kickoff return of the second half was uh, probably the most disappointing singular moment I can think of. I, the, the sack and the fumble was probably the most damaging moment because it created such a swing of momentum, swing of points. But again, to open the second half with a major miscue, bad drive, easy score for your opponent that further distanced you from the scoreboard. Three weeks in a row, that's a pretty disappointing trend that's emerged here. The 69-yard kick return, 31-yard trick play, the uh, reverse with flea flicker action for an easy touchdown, and Clemson's in complete control. FSU didn't go away. They did try to play down the stretch, but they were in such a hole against such a good caliber of opponent that it was going to take a whole heck of a lot for them to pull off that comeback and it wasn't going to happen. So it was disappointing. You know, there's little pieces of the game that I didn't like. Some of the play calling at the goal line, but that's whatever. I'm not ever going to love every play call. So I'm not going to sit here and complain about individual play calls that much. I think it's foolish. Um, And, and in general, I just, you know, I, FSU is 4-3, and, and I'm not real surprised they're 4-3. and three. I'm disappointed they're 4-3 and three only because they really had a golden opportunity against NC State to steal one of these last three and really squandered that one. That is probably the most aggravating moment of the past three weeks because it was the opportunity that they had to be a bit ahead of schedule, and now they're not there. They're essentially back on schedule. They're about where I think most people expected them to be through seven
1: games. Well put. I totally agree. Uh, Zach, your thoughts on the game? You had a different vantage point than we did.
3: Yeah, um, I'm with Chris. Like I think the the middle a obviously is where Clemson um, succeeds uh, usually, um, and, and they did that in this game uh, very well. Um, that kind of brought this game out of reach for FSU, even with their their last minute um, kind of stretch there in the fourth quarter to, to try and make it a game. You know, they, it ends up only being a six point difference, but um, just it just didn't never felt that close, um, especially after, you know, Clemson went on that that uh, run towards the middle of that game. Um, you know, for me, like I, I agree with Chris, I think the NC State loss um, definitely is the most disappointing because it's a it's a game where Florida State should have come out on top. Um, they just made way too many mistakes, uh, like just stupid mistakes. Um and, and, and out of this three-game stretch, that was the one game you can point to and, like, and be like, yeah, FSU should have won that. The Clemson loss is a little disappointing to me because you bet so much on, on a huge recruiting weekend. And, and we'll get into it. I don't think it's all bad or anything. I don't think you're going to lose the class. Um, but you could, you had a real chance to, to build momentum. Um, and, and I think a game where, let's say it's the same final score, but FSU and Clemson are going back and forth. Uh, scoring the ball the, the whole game and it's kind of a close game the entire way i think that's a way better way to 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 show um a, a good product on the field rather than you're coming from behind uh 20 points you know in the fourth quarter and half the stadium is already gone um yeah. so it definitely felt a little bit deflating recruiting wise um but but from talking to the guys that came out on sunday it, it wasn't like that and we'll get it we'll we'll dive more into those individual prospects but um, just just you know disappointing, I would say is my my word to describe this game.
2: Yeah, on the recruiting aspect, that middle stretch kind of took the crowd out of it, and obviously plenty of people decided to leave prematurely in the third quarter because it was out of hand to some degree at that point in time. So, yeah, that that's a disappointing thing. It's one of those things where if it's three and a half hours straight of just pure energy, people really fired up, it, it has a different feel than the fact that in reality. The recruits got to see the best part of the fan base, best part of the energy. They're out of the gate for a good bit of the first half, but it certainly whimpered around halftime and kind of uh dissipated there in the second half to a slight degree, just because the place emptied out. You look at Tron's touchdown catch and the opposite end zone is about half empty that you can see when he's catching a ball
1: from the end zone view. Or half full. No need to be so negative, Chris. Yeah. Hey, let's give Chris let's give Chris a round of applause for citing the middle eight on last week's on the bench. And I mean, as far as like evaluating what what could happen and what to be fearful of, uh, Chris knows what he's talking about. That middle eight was was damning. Apparently, the broadcast talked about the middle eight a lot too. Which
2: yeah, know. they even had graphics. Of, uh, I noticed that <laughs> watching it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I mean, championship teams are great in the middle eight. I mean, is the only team in the country over most of the last decade that is better than Clemson in the middle eight. There's a reason Clemson wins so many of them games. There's a reason they kind of suffocate you slowly, even when they don't have their best, most firepower, great teams that they've had some of these years. This year's team for Clemson is pretty good. Um, that defense is a very talented bunch, especially up front. Their secondary has some question marks, but the front makes up for it. You know, I like their linebacker group quite a bit. And then offensively, they know who and what they are. I I think they have such a better understanding of what they are offensively this year compared to last year with a good bit of similar personnel. Uh, Will Shipley's a heck of a player. His kick return was, you know, great job running through people. FSU players didn't want to make the effort that's necessary to stop a guy on a kick return. Too many arm tackle attempts, which was kind of an overriding theme for FSU in this game. And he made them pay. And, you know, I thought Clemson called a good game, too. Go ahead, Brandon. I I didn't mean to completely. Oh no, no, that was
1: those were all good points. I mean, the the kickoff return they were there was like three or four things I wanted to jump off of there. Uh, The kickoff return, like I felt that's probably been I have to sneeze too, so I was hoping to get that out of the way, and it's not happening, and it's just kind of lingering there now. I was hopeful that so the kickoff return has been your kickoff return coverage has been probably your best unit of almost anywhere like on the roster this year, you've been so good in that, in that coverage uh, unit and you got betrayed by the effort for some guys on the weak side there that, that weren't in position and did arm tackles uh, go back and look at it. There's a lot of defensive backs missing tackles there. So that was really frustrating. But to your point the middle eight, I mean, so I got the numbers pulled up in front of me here, just, just to kind of paint the picture of the last three weeks. Uh, Clemson with the middle eight average expected points added per play in that time span, which is again, the the final four minutes of the first half and the the first four minutes of the second half Clemson 0.59 points per play FSU minus 0.56, which is, that's a pretty huge swing. Like you're, you're a play, a point uh, different per play. Basically that's, that's a toughie. Uh, Wake forest wake average 0.54 EPA in that stretch FSU 0.25. So, so not damning, but that that's a nice sizable jump for Wake Forest where it can kind of distinguish itself, uh, which we saw FSU not be able to capitalize and score at the end of the the second half a few weeks ago. And then the outliers NC state with FSU's EPA per play at 2.29, just huge. And NC state's at 0.3. And uh, that takes us back to, to a point that I wanted to kind of get into with this game. And that's, you know, FSU's win rate, Win probability rate against NC State was the same as Clemson's win probability rate against Florida State per the S P plus. That was about 60, 65% range. Clemson won by six points, FSU lost by two. And I think that kind of to me shows the difference in these two programs. So there's nothing to be ashamed about, like to to not be in a better spot than Clemson, but it just showed you this this program i think is past the rebuild portion of it it's building it's has a foundation that's strong this team doesn't quit it doesn't give up it plays very hard for its coach that's all great it has makings of an identity of positive elements of like being explosive on offense uh but you were basically controlled against a a better team in Clemson. I mean, outside of your opening couple drives and even then you had a chance to really open it up a little bit on that second drive. And I mean, that was all three phases, three now on offense, poor punt on special teams. And I think the defense, I forgot the the defense bowed down in the, in that second drive there, regardless, uh, you really didn't have the opportunity to to open things up as Florida state could have uh, against Clemson. And that was disappointing to me. Um,
2: and some of the storylines that have emerged from the game is, well, FSU, FSU did a great job running the ball. That's not a storyline that should be dismissed in any way. What FSU did running the ball against Clemson is ultra impressive. Nobody else in the country has done that. That Clemson defense is legitimate. That was a great rushing attack for FSU. But because FSU ran the ball well and threw it pretty effectively, they obviously racked up a lot of yards. Well, part of the reason they had to rack up a lot of yards is for them to score four touchdowns, it took them 80.5 yards per those drives. You're going to rack up yards when you have to go the full length of the field because you're never, ever given a short field. You're never, ever given a chance to be successful. So obviously, FSU outgains Clemson. I believe it was 460 to 370, if I recall correctly. Yeah, part of that is Clemson's last four scores, the ones that gave him 20 points at a quick stretch 39 yards, 42 yards, 31 yards, 18 yards. When you're given short fields because of a fumble recovery, a punt fake that goes poorly because it's somewhat diagnosed right before the blitz or before the snap because of the movement those instances are going to change the scoreboard in the sense of stat watching. I'm not trying to act like FSU didn't do a good job containing Clemson because in general, yes, they did. And I'm not going to act like FSU's offense didn't do a good job of putting up yards against an excellent defense because, yes, they did. But, like, in the end, I don't give a, you know, what, about a 460 versus 370. If Clemson's getting 20 points and going, you know, a combined, what, about 120 yards and FSU's getting 28 points, eight more points, and they're having to go 322 yards to do that. Well, that's your difference. That's why the yardage is so different. Like to me, I don't fall back on those type of things. It's why did you score? Why did you not score? And what can you do to be better at what you're doing? FSU's issue right now, and a major issue in the last three games against very good opponents, is that they're ultra inefficient at certain things. You know, diff- different issues have shown up at different times. Last week it was drop balls, a lot of penalties. This week there weren't a lot of drop balls. Penalties were drastically reduced. The issue with this week is that they just never had themselves in a very good position to go and score, and they had multiple drives fizzle out because they were not good at short yardage situations or they were ineffective at the goal line. You know, It's things like that. And for them to be the best version of themselves, to pull off games against teams that are just plain and simply better than them, they have to be more efficient. They have to be a better version of themselves than they've been the last three weeks. They had an opportunity to win all of those games they probably almost certainly should have won at least one of them. And it's really on FSU that they didn't more so than the opponents that they played. And that's not to take anything away from Wake Forest, best offensive team FSU is going to play this year. Clemson, the most well-rounded team FSU is going to play this year and NC state, who has a very good capable defense. And we all know it is a pain in the ass for FSU to go play. They just don't play good at that place.
1: In some ways it's, this is catch twenty two. In some ways, it feels encouraging that you you know where you are as a program. Like you have moved in the direction to where you can compete with all of the teams in your in your division right now. And if you play your a game, you you can beat all of them. I yeah. don't know if that was the case a couple of years ago, but, but that's where you're at now. Now it's about this is the win close margin win win uh, lose close win close kind of like echelon that you're you're moving into this this range is like finding ways to win these type of games. Yeah. That's and the Next step.
2: The, the not the problem, but when you lose three straight, you put yourself at four and three, let's say the average person expectation. I'm using my expectation. In this example is seven and five to eight and four in that ballpark. Well, you're living that life right now where, you know, you got five in a row coming up. Syracuse is better than expected Florida. You know, their defense is pretty dreadful, but their offense can do some things mainly because their quarterback can be explosive at times as a runner. Uh, Miami is Miami yeah, yeah not very good offense puts up a lot of yards doesn't necessarily put up a lot of points Louisiana who's been disappointing for Louisiana standards in recent years had a major win streak end this year haven't really bounced back and you have Georgia Tech who you know fired her coach hasn't been very good but has played a, with a little more uh I can't think of a good word life to energy yeah urgency yeah. caring efficiency since they fired their coach so like you should win what four and one is a safe, comfortable comment there for the last five. Uh, that puts you at eight four. And I think every one of us would be satisfied and happy with that, despite the opportunities that had exist- existed that FSU did not, uh, you know, get a win out of specifically like the NC State example. But like, if you stumble and lose two of those, you're right exactly where everybody kind of expected. And I guess that's fine, but I don't know that seven and five does what you had set yourself up to be capable of doing this here with the way you begin the season.
1: It kind of goes back to expectations. I've written about this before. It's like this team seems to do better when there's not lofty expectations on its head. Almost in a game-to-game, like quarter-to-quarter basis. Um, and so you start the season with, like, oh, if you win you know, one of two against LSU and Louisville, uh, that would be great. And you start off 4-0. You find ways to you hold on against LSU. You overcome a ton of injuries and a really gritty, gutsy performance against Louisville. And you're four and zero, and all of a sudden expectations changed, and we saw the weight of those expectations weigh on the team against Wake Forest. Second half against NC State, uh, we again saw the weight of expectations seem to kind of weigh on on this team a little bit. And uh, again, that to me is just as we study this program and it, its climb and its ascension under Mike Norvell, and you're trying to see like what the ceiling is, where where do you go, how far can you can you climb? I think that's really interesting to see. It's like how how and when that that light switches for this team like when do you figure out a way to because all these three games you just lost like none of us are shocked by it you could have lost any one of these and and you probably should have gone one and two so you're you're net negative a little bit but it's nothing crazy Uh, it's more so the kind of the trends of not being able to handle certain situations of pressure while not to Clemson, NC State, Wake Forest—all have examples of you kind of falling in quicksand and not being able to get out for a long period of time. Maybe you eventually get out. Maybe you don't. Uh, but but how do you do when things aren't going well? Uh, how do you do when lights are a little brighter? Uh, that's part of watching this this program ascend that I'm very interested in and in watching. Not just the remainder of the season, next couple of years.
2: Part of the issue for the team right now too is when they get into a deficit no matter how good they're capable of playing offensively in like spurts, like quick strikes, which we saw late against Clemson, at some point your defense has to create a takeaway or a short field or something that spurs you along. And right now they're just not doing it. They have one takeaway in three games. That takeaway came on a fourth down. That would have been turnover on downs anyways. It, it just doesn't exist right now. It's not a component of what this team is, and that's got to change. And Mike Norvell referenced that in the post game, but – you know, at some point, the field has to be shortened in the favor at some point. They can't keep living this life of having to put together long drives while combating
1: long drives constantly. It's just not winning football. We'll get into it in a few minutes. I thought the cornerback play was, it's been sketchy, uh, but like against Wake Forest, you kind of understood that, at least to an extent. Uh, this, this game against Clemson was illuminating to me of, of where that group is or, or where it isn't, maybe is a better way to put it. Then that yeah. needs to
2: be rectified. Clemson came out of gate attacking the perimeter and had a great deal of success doing it.
1: Yeah. I think they, I think they could have kept doing that in the second half if they wanted to keep extending plays to the perimeter and they were content just running inside as well. But like they could have kept going and testing when they were thrown back shoulder fades in the second half, like they were okay throwing the ball out of bounds instead of like trying to actually test them when they tested them, they they largely won and and that's not a ingredient to success for Florida state. Too many missed tackles. I think there were 12. I think
2: Kevin Knowles had the most with four, if I remember correctly, according to PFF.
4: Hmm.
2: Um, Yeah, you just can't have it. It, Too many instances of guys trying to use arm tackling on large human beings, especially the quarterback there. Uh, You can't blitz and not run through that guy. You got to run through him when you blitz it. It's not a matter. And I know he stepped up ever so slightly, but an arm from a DB on that quarterback is not going to resolve the situation. He's just too large of a human. Imagine you're facing a tight end who's really athletic. That's what that quarterback is physically.
1: There was a couple plays where blitzes did not impact DJ I told myself I was going to practice it in Olugula. Sorry. I'm really not trying to be disrespectful to the, the name. Wow. I just don't know how to say it. Wow. You try it, Zach. Go the, ahead. No, no, no. Let really Zach do it. Delay. Oh, damn. He did it right. Okay.
2: The blitzes resulted in big plays. Um, I mean, I know there's at least two instances in the first half, the one where Knowles missed turns into a touchdown. There's another one I believe they tried to bring Jamie Robinson off the left side, if I recall correctly, and that turned into a chunk play too. So, yeah. I mean, they, they've hit in the DBs to some degree this year, and they got exploited in this game. But – that's a larger issue. You're three years in and your secondary is just not very good.
1: We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Zach Byer, Sonone, my column.
3: I'm buying it. Um, I didn't think it was that like people were making a huge deal out of it. Um, I don't know. Like I was in the stadium. That game was not like, although the the final score was a, a difference of six, that game was never close. It never felt like that. Um, like, even on their the comeback run, like, it, it just never felt like Florida State was in that game. Um, you know, in reality, yes, they could have won it. Maybe they get that onside kick. But, like, I, I just – no one was expecting – it. it's it's hard to put it into words, but that middle eight that we're going to keep talking about, I'm sure you guys have heard a ton, just killed Florida State. Like, it w- wiped out any life that FSU had in this game um and then i think brendan's article does a good job of explaining that and i don't think it was too harsh or or i don't know what people are saying about it but um yeah i'm not synoning it like the rest of the board
1: you just saw the down votes
3: yeah i like to tease you
1: about it though you remember me leaning into you and what i said i said chris what do you think of of this angle and you're like people aren't gonna like it Wow. What, are your, what are your thoughts? I thought I was articulating much of what Chris was feeling during that game, I, what we were feeling. I mean, Brett's sitting next to me. Chris is sitting next to me. Uh, Dane's kind of hovering around like a beautiful little uh, butterfly, just giving us little positive in- kisses. No, I mean, kisses. I mean, that's weird. What
2: the- I, I always like to sleep on it um, to a degree. And I know that's not how columns work. You got to fire it off at the whistle type thing. But I was extremely disappointed on Saturday by the fact that a team that preaches response so much really failed to respond in the middle. They, they got they just got waxed in that stretch. And the the opening of the second half for the third consecutive week is such an, a high point of frustration for me because at some point you got to change that. Like you're letting teams back into games last week. You're letting teams run away with games the two weeks sandwiching last week. Like mm-hmm. you can't do that. It's not allowed. Um, I thought FSU played a Good ball game for the first twenty minutes, and I thought they made an effort in the last, you know, what six or nine, roughly minutes. Nice. So that that's about half of the game. The issue is the other portion of it. They got the doors blown off, and you just can't have that. If you're gonna, it's like a championship match. If you're gonna beat them, you're gonna knock them out early, or you got to hang with them to the last whistle. And while FSU made it look like they hung with them to the last whistle because of the margin. That's because they really, you know, they tried to win the last couple of rounds after losing round four to ten. So, you know, I, I I was disappointed in what FSU did. I wasn't surprised by the outcome of the game. I guess it's the best way to, I can put it.
1: So Zach, buyers to know, Chris is buying my column. I just won't say it.
2: I'll
3: buy that. I think.
2: Woo! I, I will admittedly say, I read the column. I did not enjoy it. I didn't like it. I thought it would go exactly how it went with response to it. I wouldn't respond to it that way because I get the point you're making. But, like, yeah, I just – I didn't think it hit the mark.
3: But I here's the thing. Way I, I want to bring up a point, and this kind of defends uh, Brendan's column. So 247 has a talent uh, calculator now um, that basically – calculates how many, you know, five, four, three-star recruits each team has. Clemson has 12 five-star recruits on its roster, according to the composite, and they're ranked fifth in the country when it comes to the talent rankings. Um, Florida State sits at 17 with zero five-star composite players on their roster. Um, and if you want to count the guys that that were, I, I think, in the top two, four, seven towards the end, it's Demori Tate and Travis J, who both will haven't played snaps and will not play snaps for Florida State this year. Um, So it's just like, if you look at the talent level, this game should not be close at all. Um, And that's why I think Brennan's column kind of illustrates is that, you know, Clemson does have that talent superiority over Florida State still. Um, And it's not really that close. I mean, that's, that's 12 ranking spots away. UNC is closer. Miami is closer in the talent ranking level. Um, to Clemson within the ACC is what I'm uh, speaking of, um, than, than Florida State. So FSU has to recruit better, um, and I think we'll get into that. But but I think that's a huge reason for why you see a lot of these mistakes. It, Clemson just has better players. Like you can't say that a lot about a lot of the rosters that FSU's played so far. Like Wake does not have a better you know talent ranking than Florida State, and they still lost that game pretty handedly. Um, but but I think Clemson has like. Like what Brendan was saying, like Clemson does sit at a different spot than FSU within the ACC uh, when it comes to recruiting, and then how that translates to on-field results.
1: I wrote a column in 2016, I believe, uh, writing that Clemson. I think it was 2016 that Clemson was starting to surpass FSU uh, from a talent perspective. That was starting to. I don't think that was received very well at the time, uh, after the the loss against Clemson in 2019. I basically wrote like this just shows like how far away they are and that Willie's not going to be the one to get them there. That wasn't received particularly well. I had friends text me that thinking it was crazy. Uh and saying, well, we got closer this year in 2019. A couple games later he was fired. Uh it's for whatever reason it's tough to admit like where you're at as as a program. And like I don't dismiss that this team fights hard. I enjoy watching this team because of the way it's been built and because of what its DNA has evolved into under Mike Norvell. Like he's done a great job with that. And, he, and that's happened at a discounted rate too. Like Mike Norvell is not paid among the top tier power five coaches. So you're doing that at, at a you're becoming consistently uh above average to good at a discounted rate. And this program desperately needs that. Well documented on this podcast of, of some financial stuff this program has been through, and, and where you were at after whiffing on the Willie Taggart hire, after the Jimbo uh, basically quitting on you. And, and so my point being is that this program is moving in the right direction. Uh, just the stretch, and particularly the exclamation point being the, the way Clemson handled you after a good first twenty minutes in which you were tied up, really shows just still how much further you have to go but I think it's like I don't think it's insurmountable at this point. I think it's moving in a direction and maybe that should have been my tone after the game on Saturday. Like this is the first time in a long time where Clemson kind of flexed itself and and showed yeah, you're not you're not winning this today. We still have too many too many weapons, too many strengths for you to overcome if you're not going to play a clean game of football. But I think it's moving there to where you're you're almost at the point. You're a year or two away, if we allude to what like Zach talked about, the, the recruiting aspect of things. If you're able to keep developing, if you're able to get a couple more key players to turn the tide a little bit, then all of a sudden you're in a chance where you're in dog fights with Clemson again. And then that starts building on itself. So maybe that should have been my tone after the game on Saturday. But no, I'm mean, I watching that. I just, It felt like FSU got toyed with for a stretch of the game, played really well in the beginning of it, and it was still tied. And I don't value what we saw at the end of the game as much as some people do other than like, yes, this team plays very hard. But that Chris said that in the press box on Saturday, like that's what this team is at this point. It it should be appreciated, but maybe not celebrated at this point. Like that's the bare minimum that that Mike Norvell has established. And that's a great thing. But but that is still like what is expected now. So you play hard. Yeah, that got
2: established last year. And some of that truthfully got established with the Clemson game last year. Um, FSU went up to their place and hung around in a game where they didn't play very well. FSU didn't play very well at Clemson last year, but Jermaine Johnson, huge play did enough to make it a game, make it interesting. FSU was a much better version of themselves this year against Clemson. The issue is that they had a stretch in that game where they forgot that they were allowed to be a good football team and Clemson remembered they're a really, really good football team and blew the doors off. And you just can't have that. You've got to take the next step of if you're going to compete with these very, very good teams. The last three weeks, teams that are wholeheartedly, I would consider, and NC State's going to fall off this because of Larry's injury, but better football teams and FSU entering the games they play for you to win those kind of games. You got to be the best version of yourself. And we've not gotten the best version of FSU the last three weeks. And I think that's where the frustration lies. And I think to some degree, that's the point you were trying to make. Maybe that FSU to be what they need to be has to be the best version of themselves. Clemson, wasn't necessarily the best version of themselves on saturday but they were good enough for enough of a stretch that they were able to just kind of pin you down and beat you
1: thank god you're here chris donger needs food or eats food or whatever it is its gonna be very happy hey let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor of the buyer sanone segment their turner group if you're looking to buy or sell a home In central Florida is where they're located, but really throughout the entire state under the Keller Williams umbrella, the Turner Group can help you out and make the home buying experience, uh, which can not always be super pleasant or easy. They make it as easy and pleasant as possible. Uh, Colin has a lot of fun with this whole experience. like He does a really nice job of getting back to people quickly, being communicative, uh, communicative, communicative. Sorry, Colin. (laughs) <laughs> Colin, Colin is an FSU grad. Amy, his wife, is an FSU grad. They have a small, like, hands-on uh, outlook to buying and selling homes to where they're able to, to help you guys out by, like, kind of a boutique sort of way that is really helpful and productive. Uh, you don't want to be just another number with the big boys. No, no, no. You want uh, good customer service. People are going to work for you, work hard. They have helped close on almost 100 homes in the last year. Add to that, they they hustle, become part of uh, the Turner Group family and umbrella. Let them know that on the bench sent you. You can start off your home buying process if you're just interested in learning a little bit more, what it would look like look like. Reach out to Colin at 407-403-8546. You can email them at get started at the or the easiest way to me is just Google the Turner Group. You get to see a bunch of five-star reviews and know you're in pretty safe hands there when you're buying or selling a home. With that in mind, I don't really have any Buyer's to know questions for today. I just want to give a shout out to our Buyer's to know sponsor. I think we do a whole Buyer's to know, uh mailbag-ish type of episode in the buy week coming up uh, in the next few days, fellas. But for now, let's take a little bit of, of time here to step back, evaluate what Florida State is, your four and three, at. The, this juncture of the season, we knew this was going to be a critical stretch for FSU. I think Chris articulated it beautifully. You had a chance to be ahead of schedule based on how you started, based on where you were at against NC state. Uh, we not able to close there now after a three game losing streak, you're, you're probably on schedule. So let's, let's take a step back. Look at what FSU has accomplished relative to expectations. Beginning of the season, expectations that kind of shifted back and forth during the season, Chris, I'll start with you. Like, what what do we know about this team? What are the hallmarks of this team, both good and good and bad at this point?
2: Well, they wholeheartedly can run the football, um, and even when names change, you know Trey Ward gets hurt, they still have success doing that. They're very good at that. The passing attack has improved year over year. Uh, you know, when they catch the ball outside of the NC State game, that's probably about the only game where really where you can point where it drops was a major issue. When they catch the ball, they're pretty good at throwing the ball down the field, moving around. O-line is a little bit behind what I think we had hoped it would be this year. Bless Harris's injury was pretty significant in that regard, far more significant than I think any of us forecasted. It would be when Bless Harris was added to this roster. He was really an important piece, and he certainly would be helping them right now, getting Jazz Turnitine off the field, who's an issue in pass blocking for sure. Uh, Defensively, I'd say they're a little bit behind what we had hoped they would be going in the year. I think a good chunk of that is Fabian Lovett's absence, and Quick Fabian Lovett update. Mike Norvell mentioned after the game that he tried to make a go of it late in the week. This is after we were viewing practices. So uh, Thursday, Friday prior to the game was not able to go. Their hope is he does come back after the bye week. So that's good news because that D line desperately needs Fabian Lovett. He so many other guys key off him. He, do, he dominates in the sense of. Uh, forcing to be recognized by the opposing team, which frees up other people. I think right now teams are able to play FSU a little more straight up than they would have to if Fabian Lovett was out there, and it certainly hurts them. Linebackers, we expected to be an improved group, and they've lived up to that. Kalen Deloche taking a nice next step. Tatum Bethune's been an awesome addition. He's an excellent football player and a guy who I think has played through quite a bit of injury since, I think, the Louisville game. I think he got banged up then. I don't think he's really felt very good since then. Secondary is a... I don't want to say massive disappointment, but it's certainly a disappointment. The corners more so than the safeties, but hey, Akeem Denton had a pretty awful Saturday. So I guess the safeties can be lumped in there to some degree too. And then the special teams, I don't need to dive in that too much. There's been something really, really good about that and some obviously very bad moments. You know, Miss punt against NC State for Alex is probably his worst moment of year. Ryan went through what Ryan went through, had the big kick last week. We'll see if it can continue. Next time he's rolled out there in general, the coverage teams have been good, had the miserable moment against Clemson. But in general, that group has been good. So, like, you know, a lot of it's kind of on par of what we expected a little bit. Feels like it's a little bit better than we expected. Uh, I will admittedly say I thought Jordan Travis would show he was an improved passer. He wholeheartedly did against LSU. There's been elements of that consistently since. So that's not something that really surprised me or caught me off guard. I went into the LSU game expecting it to be a Jordan Travis breakout performance to a degree, and I think he lived up to that. Um, It hasn't necessarily been as consistent since, and they need to get back on track. I think the bye week comes at a good time, one, because they got to desperately get healthy. Uh, Just a whole lot of guys banged up, obviously missing some guys availability-wise, too. And they just need to kind of fine-tune themselves. They need to get back to playing their most efficient version of football that they're capable of. And that will give them a good chance to close out this year in a strong manner.
1: Zach, same question to you. I guess what what do you view this team big-picture standpoint as, like, what are pros, what are cons at this point?
3: Yeah, the pro is definitely FSU's running game, like Chris said. Um, I I love – what they've been able to do with a variety of backs. Um, And I think they haven't even unleashed like a guy like Rodney Hill yet. Um, And it's just pretty impressive because a guy like Tre'Shaun Ward goes down, your top back, guy that's been the most productive for you this season and, you know, into last season. And you roll out, you know, Trey Benson and, and Lawrence to a Philly for the Clemson game, and they they pretty much, you know, dominate against a really, really good – um I wouldn't say dominate, but they have a really nice performance against a really – um, talented Clemson defensive front and defense overall. Um and then, you know, for me, I, I I agree with Chris. Like I think the offensive line has not progressed how I wanted to or how we expected it to and, and how um you know FSU hoped it would. Um and and part of that is due to injuries, um like with with Bless Harris and um and even having a, a depth piece like Caden Lyles like Hertz, I think um, you know, you know I God forbid Maurice Smith gets injured. Like, who do you put in at center? Like that always worries me. Um, So I think that that uh regression, I wouldn't say regression, but it's, it's, it's mostly on par from what we saw last season. I think, Um, you know, it might be a little bit better, but it's just, it's not a, a good unit. Um and, and I don't think anyone expected it to be like a, a, a strength on this team, but we didn't expect it to be this much of a weakness. Um, you know, the first four games of the season, I think, showed what we see in practice consistently and what we saw, especially early in practice, um, preseason camp from Jordan Travis throwing the football. Uh, I think, obviously, the last three weeks have been tougher tests um, for him and the, the team overall against, you know, three-ranked matchups. Um, but I would I would have liked to see him, you know, perform a little bit better in those games. Um, obviously, the, there's, you know, challenges that that he faced, a ton of pressure in um, you know the weight game, uh, some in the NC State game, and a lot in the Clemson game. Uh, I think uh, he could have made some better decisions, especially in that NC State game. But but I I think he's definitely become a better quarterback this season, um, even when you include those three games. Um, defensively, I think you know aside from maybe edge rusher, there's been a lot of and linebacker, there's been a lot of disappointment to me. Um, I think the interior. Uh, depth is worrisome um, when you don't have a guy like Jared Jackson. Like, I'm not saying Jared Jackson's been amazing this season, but he's a, you know, serviceable depth piece for you. Um, and he's a guy that I think you need. Um, and to not have him, it's kind of worrisome. Like, Malcolm Ray's performed pretty well. Not amazing, um, but they definitely miss Fabian Lovett, like Chris was saying. So they need to get him back. Um, and I think that helps this defense a ton. Um, but, but the defensive backs have just been really – mediocre man like it, it's um it's a group that that has struggled over you know norvell's tenure here um but but you you come in with a guy with you know you know akeem den who's had a lot of experience jamie robinson um uh, who doesn't look bad at, you know i'm not saying that he he's struggled but you know he hasn't been his best I, I, like i don't think a lot of people are talking about that but jamie hasn't been you know this amazing all acc cor- or safety to me um when i look at it on film um still making some mistakes. Um, But I think the most important spot to look at is the corners, right? Like, Duke Cooper has kind of had a sophomore slump. Part of that, I'm sure, is due to injuries. Um, But he just has not looked good, Um, especially in these last three games. They've been getting torched by the, you know, opposing receivers. Um, And then if you look in in the nickel, like, Kevin Knowles is missing way too many tackles. He's diving at tackles that he shouldn't be. Um, he's not wrapping up, uh, you know. DJU on that blitz, that you know. I mean, obviously the coverage is not his fault, but if they're blitzing at the nickel, they expect him to at least disrupt the play. And and um, I don't think uh, you know DJU was was uh, disrupted at all. Um, he 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 threw that ball pretty cleanly um, for that first touchdown to to Antonio Williams, I believe his name is the slot Davis. for Clemson. What?
1: That was Antonio Davis. I could be wrong. No, he- you're right.
3: I think it's Williams. They have, they have another Davis. Yeah, that, that was the guy that scored on the uh, flea flicker.
1: Antonio Davis, nineties, sure. nineties basketball shout out.
3: Um, but yeah, so for the defense, like the defense for me just has to take a big step. Um, you know, from the bye week on, um, I think uh, Georgia Tech is a good uh, opportunity for them because I don't think that's an offense that really um scares many. Um, and I think. Uh, FSU has an opportunity to kind of tee off. Um, They've struggled some with, with containing guys that are athletic and Jeff Sims is that we'll obviously get more into that next week. I'm not going to try to do a whole preview on them. Um, But FSU has to clean some things up defensively. If they want to be a consistent group, they barely stopped Clemson, you know, from, I think there was one drive in the first half that they got to stop. um, And I think Clemson scored on pretty much every other drive, whether it was a field goal or a touchdown. So it's just they've got to improve, and that's going to help this team immensely if they want to um, make a, a strong stretch down, down the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, Clemson's drive chart against Florida State was pretty telling. Punt, and then touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, field goal. There you yeah. go. Uh, so let's see. One or two more big-picture kind of questions here as we recalibrate, reevaluate midway point, pass midway point. A position group that's exceeded expectations and that's disappointed. Let's start off with disappointment. I think you guys both kind of touched on it. Cornerback, right? Corner. Like, yep. it's has not been a position group that's been a strength for you. You've had to hide it. I think Renardo green has been solid, but the inability to get a running mate with him involved and, and find some level of consistency, whether it's been a Maureen Cooper having some injury issues early in the year, not being himself. Uh, Jerry and Jones is kind of, I think at, at this point, it is what it is with. With him, uh, like what we see in practice doesn't translate to games to to n- near close enough of a level, even if he's not a liability he's not playing like a strength out there. Azaria Thomas got picked on a little bit against Clemson. That's going to be part of the growing pains. Like you're a true freshman against a really good team. Uh, they're going to go after you, um, but but I'm encouraged by him. But yeah, so cornerback for me has, has been disappointing. Mentioned the nickelback with Kevin Knowles. That hasn't been great. Yeah, against Wake Forest, you were picked on against Clemson you were picked on uh, it's tough to one have the safeties helping you out as much as they are schematically and then two, it not really making a huge difference in the game that's that's a problem
3: yeah i agree i think or you want me to go into i i kind of already explained my position groups but... yeah
1: both of you guys have talked do you agree with that chris like if we can move on from as far as a disappointing unit and then talk about exceeding expectations Zach's already kind of chimed in
3: you're muted, Chris.
2: Not a disappointing unit as tight end. Um, oh, you know, yeah. You're just not getting much from that. Um, the blocking needs to be better because that's their primary role at this point on this team. You know, Marquiston Douglas had some nice moments there at the end of Clemson. He's had a few other nice moments within the season. The two point conversion comes to mind, for example. Um, so maybe you just got to start making the move where he's your more primary guy in that group because. You're just not getting a whole lot from that group. Most weeks you look at the box score from that group, there's not a lot lot there. You go back and rewatch the game, and, yeah, there's a lot of moments where there's plays that could have been sprung better or run better if a tight end did his job in the blocking game. There's an example against Clemson where tight end comes off of tight of the line, works hard to his left on a two-man – it's a two-on-two situation with the ball going to an FSU receiver. Tight end has to get there and take out at least one of the two defenders out of the equation. He splits them; they get by. It's a play that goes for a loss.
1: Can't have that. I agree, Chris. I, I think relative to the expectations. So I'll stick with corner. But those have probably been the two most underwhelming position groups. The the ones that aren't helping you the most up to this point in the season. But but tight end, we knew you're going to have to kind of uh, piece it together with different stuff situationally, with different you know using different guys in different groups. The cornerback group is one that you thought would be pretty strong at the start of the year uh zach you mentioned cornerback are you in agreement there that's the disappointing one to you
3: yeah on defense for sure that's the most disappointing um i completely forgot about tight end yeah that's that's been such a not great group um just it feels like they do more harm than help in in a lot of these games like they I don't know. Watching on film, it's it's almost like agonizing to to watch some of the blocking that they do or lack thereof. Um, they need to recruit that position better, man. I don't know if it's through the portal, um, through the high school ranks. Like I think Brian Courtney can do something for you in a few years, maybe, but he's not ready to do it now. Um, and you you need someone at that position. Um, they they had a, a piece like that last season, Jordan Jordan Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, he was a a, a, a good blocking tight end. They don't have that this season. And they don't, I, you know, Cam McDonald's an above average receiving tight end, but but that's not your entire job at that position. And they need someone to be able to do both or just do one really, really effectively. And they don't have either right now on the roster.
1: What about a position group that's maybe exceeded expectations that we're happy with? I'll start off with edge rusher. I mean, I think Jared verse when healthy has been better than we thought he was going to be. Patrick Payton (laughs) emergence been nice. Uh, Mute your mic. If you're going to cough into it, Zach, Leonard Warner has been a really nice. No, 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 Don't don't make excuses.
3: (coughs) Um, (laughs) Go ahead.
1: And Derek McClellan has been solid like that. That's a group that we thought would be kind of at a weak point for you defensively. I think at the very least they've been neutral, if not a strength at times. So that's, that's been good and that's encouraging and that's without, you know, by returner, someone we all like interested to see him when he, when he returns and is dressed out and, and regularly you know, participating. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with what we've seen at defensive end this year. That's been a plus and it's going to be big for you in the, in the back half of the season. Zach <laughs> Um, I, yeah,
3: I agree with you. Uh, Jared Verslich definitely looks better and more progressed than I think a lot of us thought he would be at this point in his career. Um, coming from the FCS level, um, Pat Payton's definitely the biggest surprise in that group to me. I think he's been the most um, improved player from last year. Like, I think Derek Glendon is kind of pretty consistent for you, um, but Pat Payton's definitely the guy that you that you look at and like be like, yeah, like he's like getting close and close, closer and closer to you know hitting a ceiling. I think he has a little bit more ways to go that's a guy that that, that's actually being developed and and looks really good um in in certain stretches uh, especially um against nc state and and even against wake forest so um i i really like pat payton and i like i like the group uh overall and i think getting byron turner back would only help uh, the depth there um but yeah for for other positions um obviously running back receivers the, the one i'd point to on offense um I, I mean, that was the we. I would say the weakness of the team last year. They couldn't do anything. That Jordan Travis was scrambling for his life because the receivers couldn't get open. Um, the offense was so so limited. Um, and they, and now, like, I mean, one of your plays can be throw it up to Johnny Wilson, right? Like, and I'm not saying I'm not saying the, the fade concept that the, the stuff that they failed to do at the ends are towards the goal line. But like, there's a lot a lot of times that that having a a, a weapon like that just bails you out um out of a broken play or or whatever. Um, but other guys have stepped up in that room and and, you know, aside from the NC State game w- w- with the drops, like they've they've been pretty consistent catching the football. I think that's a really positive sign um for, for 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 you know this team. And and that's, you know, for most of the season you didn't have one of your top weapons in Jakai Douglas. And you still don't have the guy that you expected to be your biggest contributor in Winston Wright. So um, definitely a huge improvement in that in that room and, and love what I'm seeing from those
2: guys. Yeah, I was also going to go with wide receiver. Johnny Wilson is much better than I expected him to be. After watching him in the spring, he's progressed continuously, which is a positive sign. Some of the guys that were returning players in that room have improved. They've gotten better, obviously. There is more there. A guy like Malik McClain needs to be more consistent, do things more often. But in general, I feel like that group shows more signs of life than I expected from them a year ago. And, uh, you know, Zach also mentioned Douglas's return here. Douglas is a nice piece, fresh legs, very good player. And Winston Wright, if they ever do get him this year, will be another asset for them in that room. And certainly was viewed as the most talented addition when they went and got additions for that room. The other position I would mention is linebacker. You know, we, we thought it would be improved, but like DeLoche has continued to progress in a positive manner. Tatum Bethune's been a huge uplifting piece. Brendan Gant is a guy who, you know, I commended a few weeks ago. He's really. Turn the corner in my opinion He's become a much better player for them much bigger asset and a lot of that is on special teams for him but it, the fact that he's just a dependable guy it's nice to see and DJ Lundy with the weight loss has become a little bit more effective player more capable of doing the things that are necessary in today's football so I feel like that group has done a good job of progressing in a
1: positive way. Let's. Take one more look at big picture stuff and, and we'll spin this ahead a little bit. And that's what do we, what's the storyline we're looking at for this back stretch, these final five games of the season? Uh, I will start off, I'll will we'll throw out health. Can you get healthy? Can Fabian Lovett return? Uh, our belief was he would have a chance to be back for Clemson. That ended up not happening. But when we, when we did the buyer's known a couple weeks ago, and it's Clemson bye, we thought that was about the earliest he would return. and. Yeah, getting the bye week, Mike Norvell indicated this now. Like he he's someone who was trying to get ready for Clemson. I think that bye week's gonna help him out. But beyond just Fabian Lovett, like Zach mentioned Winston right, is that someone you can get for the final few games of the season to at least integrate into the offense a little bit? Uh just to have the entire offensive line, time to heal up and maybe get less braces and bandages out there would be great. Defensive end, can Jared Verse get that knee brace off? You know, that seems to keep bothering him. It's just some time for that to become less inflamed the knee there. Like this team has fought through some pretty catastrophic injury luck to be at four and three, nothing wrong with that, given what's happened. And I think that actually it's fairly positive that you you have a winning record with the injuries that you've, you've endured. Uh, now can you get healthy for a, a stretch that includes going up to Syracuse is going to be a cakewalk and then, you know, two rivalry games to Miami and Florida be interesting to see uh, Chris, What what's your storyline you're looking at?
2: I want to see FSU combat the narrative that they can't play a complete game. I want to see them become a more efficient version of themselves and play well from beginning to end in games. Do a good job of closing out opponents. When you do get that lead, don't squander it. Don't allow opponents to creep back in. Don't have bad second halves where the offense seems to stall out for lengthy stretches. Become a more consistent team beginning to end in football games. I think that begins with uh, the ability of just not hurting yourself, playing a more efficient version of football for yourself, cut down the penalties, which they did do against Clemson, catch the ball, which they did against Clemson, but obviously both of those two issues were issues in prior losses, things like that. I just think it's important for FSU to show good signs of growth as a football team in the second half. And I think if they do that, they're going to win a vast majority of their games. Zach? Yeah, bye. I think we, I think you lost Zach. There, you just
3: sorry. I was I was sending Brendan an important screenshot. Um, we can, yeah. Um, but I, need
1: a, I need a magnifying glass for that. Zach,
3: <coughs> I don't know how to get rid of this cough. I hope it just kills you at this point. Jesus, what? Is, like, what even is it though? It's like I'm not like sick, but it's like I have this like lingering cough. There's Mold. Like, something. Oh, there's something there's a name for that. Consumption? Laryngitis. That's it.
1: Have you gone you know to what? the doctor, Zach? Let's take a quick commercial break. Zach will get his stuff together. We will talk about recruiting coming up.
5: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love,
4: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
1: Welcome back to On the Bench. I've driven over to... Near Florida State's campus, I have given Zach a steroid shot. He's feeling much better now. Zachary, you sound like a hundred, a hundred bucks, a million. Where That's did you old, give him
2: shot? Where where did you administer said shot? Because I know we where guys, I've gotten steroid shots. Have you guys
1: I'm ever like... gotten a steroid shot in the ass? Fires to know. Bye and bye. bye. <laughs>
3: it's the worst.
1: <laughs> it's so humiliating. Too.
3: Yeah, it's and the last time I got you. it, they're like, "Oh, do you want this like steroid shot?" I forget what it was for. Like, I don't know where. I don't remember what it's for, but. Um, they're like, "Oh, do you want the steroid shot?" I'm like, "Sure." Um, and they come in and they're like, "Oh yeah, it uh, it has to be administered there." I'm like, "You didn't tell me that when I like agreed to the shot." Like,
2: shoot! I dropped trow as fast as humanly possible and got ready to take that thing. Let's do this.
1: Mine happened on the the end of a date. There was not another date after that.
2: Wait, you had to get a steroid shot on a butt cheek during a date?
1: No, the end of a date. We went for it was like a second was it day. Still a portion of the day. <sighs> Not into that stuff, Chris. Come on. We <laughs> we went for a walk at Lake Ella. If you're from Tallahassee, lived in Tallahassee, you know.
2: You got bit the, by a duck. the
1: The Lake Ella waters does some weird things, some weird mutation to animals and creatures living around it. So a gnat or something flew in my eye. And within 10 minutes, my eye swelled up like to the size of a golf ball, the area around it. And we had to go to the, the patients first across the street. Uh, they had to administer a, a steroid shot in my butt. I stayed like that for a couple of days. Uh, there was not a third date and I'll leave it at that.
3: Recruiting. Um, Florida State hosted a huge weekend uh, for, for the Clemson game. Um, they had a ton of commits on campus. They had a bunch of targets as well. Um, we were out there on Saturday and uh, even on Sunday for some of the guys that made it back to campus to visit with the staff some more before departing town. Um, and, and I'll and I'll provide some updates on, on how a lot of those visits went. Um, I, first, I want to start with with five star wide receiver commit Hakeem Williams. He was back on campus. There's a full video, the interview that we did with him on those twenty four seven. Um, but he talks a lot about how this is home for him. Um, he loved making it back. He says he gets goosebumps every time he's in Tallahassee. Um, so super comfortable here. Uh, lo- you know, Has a really good relationship with with Coach Dugans, Ron Dugans, and, and head coach Mike Norvell. Um, he said he plans to be back at FSU for the Georgia Tech game um, in two weeks. So that's a really good sign that you're getting him back on campus that soon. I asked him specifically if he has any plans to visit um, other schools because he was at miami uh, for their loss against unc a few weeks ago um, he said he does not have any plans as of right now you know i could see him making some visit game day visits to other places but i really like um you know where fsu sits to to, to hold on to him right now um, obviously they can't lay an egg the rest of the year they have to you know um you know win a good amount of games in this five game stretch uh, but but Hakeem's really locked in right now, and, he, and he's doing a lot of recruiting. One of the guys he's recruiting is four-star defensive back Damari Brown, who was on an official visit to FSU over the weekend. Damari um, is a uh, blue-chip guy out of American Heritage High School down in South Florida. Um, that's how he knows Hakeem really well. Hakeem made it clear that he wants him in this class. Um, Damari's visit actually wrapped up on Monday morning because he has the full 48 hours, so he was, he made it to campus at some point on Friday um, and then left on Monday morning. Um, he, they did a photo shoot, him and Rod Kearney, the other official visitor who I'll get into in a minute, did a photo shoot at, uh, it was like a nighttime photo shoot last night on Sunday night um, with the staff. And it was, it, I saw some of the videos from it. It was pretty cool. Um, Damari told us he was having a good time when we spoke to him on Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, his visit hadn't wrapped up yet, but we wanted to get an interview, interview with him before he departed. Um, and, and he had some good quotes. You, you can read the full story on 247. But basically, he might go visit Alabama next weekend unofficially. And then I believe his official to Miami is set for the Florida State game on November 5th. Um, so I think it'll be really important for FSU to show out in that game if they want to stay in this recruitment. He's a Miami legacy, as his, his dad played at Miami um, so they have that kind of built-in in road there. Um, I think Miami's kind of struggles earlier on in the season opened this recruitment up a little bit, a little bit, and allowed Florida State to kind of get in the picture more so than um, I think a lot, you know, a lot of people thought. Um, you know, I'm not sure that the Clemson performance helps a ton, um, but I don't think it really hurts. Uh, Clemson's another school involved in his recruitment. He did not share any plans to get back there, um, but but you know we'll see what his visit schedule kind of uh shapes out to be over over the course of the next you know few weeks and months. Um he said he he'll probably know where he wants to go after the Miami official visit and that he'll likely have a decision at the end of November. Um moving into the other official visitor, we have not caught up with him yet, but four star Florida State uh offensive line commit uh out of the Jacksonville area, Roderick Kearney, he was on campus over the weekend. Pretty important visit because uh, out of all the commits, I would definitely recognize him as the most uh, shaky, if you want to call it, guy that's been wavering the most in his pledge to FSU. Um, and the and the school you'd point to as, as to um, the program, you know, most likely to flip him is probably UF. He was there for the first two weeks of the season for their first two home games of the year. Um, and he made it back for the FSU-Boston college game and then back for this official visit against Clemson. So... Um, Rod Kearney spent a ton of time around Alex Atkins over the weekend. His visit actually doesn't wrap up until Monday night, um, so we'll try and catch up with him. He's not been doing much stuff with the media at all, so I'm not, you know, guaranteeing that he's going to talk. You know, we're not expecting it, uh, but we're still gonna, still going to ask and see if uh, see if he wants to comment before leaving. Um, you know, from from what I've heard, he's had a good time. Uh, spent a ton of time with with true freshman offensive lineman Quayshon Sapp at FSU who he has a really strong relationship with, you know, earlier on in the recruiting process, he was, you know, spending a full week at FSU, literally just hanging out with players like, like Sapp and, and Julian Armella and other guys on the roster. Um, so I think this weekend does a lot for FSU in this recruitment, you know, we'll see kind of where things are after the weekend and kind of um, if Rod, you know, begins to take visits against other programs, you know, UF was the obvious school involved. Georgia was another program that, that, we had heard that was talking to him and trying to get him on campus don't believe that's happened yet but you know that's something that we'll monitor after this visit weekend um another guy another uh commitment that was on campus was california or mantica california four-star linebacker blake nicholson um he said that the visit exceeded all of his expectations um you know all positive vibes from him when we spoke i asked him about oregon That was a program that was involved in his recruitment heavily before he committed to FSU. I think at one point they were his leader. Um, And then he visited there uh, for their home game against BYU the the weekend before he announced his pledge to FSU. Um, I asked him about, you know, if he had any plans to get there or anywhere else. He said he did not. Um, So, you know, we'll monitor that. But right now he said he feels like he is 100 percent committed to Florida State. And he doesn't plan on decommitting or anything like that. He's pretty set on Florida State. That was, you know, an abbreviation of his quote that he gave to us following his trip. Um, Chris wrote that story on those twenty four seven. If you want to read it all, we have a ton of coverage. Um, there were some other, you know, really talented twenty twenty fours. You know, another guy that I'll note. The final guy I'll, I'll talk about is Texas four star line or running back commit Cedric Baxter. He was a surprise visitor that we broke on those twenty four seven on Saturday. That made it in around 6 p.m. Um, you know, just prior to the to the game and the festivities starting at FSU, he was uh, brought in by his area recruiter Kiwan Ratliff, who's really good in that uh, Orlando area. Um, you know, Baxter grew up a, an FSU fan. He was at once, you know, one point committed to FSU. You know, earlier on in his recruiting process, he decommitted um, in the spring of 2021, and and FSU hasn't really been involved since then. Uh, until this visit, um, he kind of said that, that, you know, he like I said, he he grew up big FSU fan. So he he says he watches them like every Saturday. Um, this was a really good opportunity for to see them in person. And and, and he loved it um, getting his I think it was his first game day experience inside Doe Campbell Stadium. So he said the atmosphere is really fun for him. Um, we asked him about, you know, whether he'd make it back for an official visit. He wasn't sure. Um, he said that if, if he does, it'll probably be in December because you know he the, he the, is not a fan of taking officials during the season because you don't get as much time around the coaching staff. So, uh, you know, we'll monitor it. I I think that this one probably isn't one that Florida State gets in on. Um, just because I think Texas, uh, you know, is doing enough to keep him. I'll leave it at that. Um. There were some good 2024s, like I mentioned, Camarion Franklin's a five-star defensive lineman that was on campus. Um, but we'll, we'll have a ton of stuff throughout the week. Uh, you know, due to it being a bye week, we'll, we'll we'll extend the recruiting coverage the whole week, kind of recapping a lot of these visits um, and, and catching up with guys like that we haven't caught up with yet, like a DJ Chester, Ruben Bain, who I expect that we'll get um, you know to talk soon, uh, whether it's from me or or. Uh, Southeast recruiting An- analyst Andrew Ivins. Um, but but yeah, stay locked in and also for 7 for all that recruiting coverage stemming from this this big uh, weekend.
2: So, a CJ Baxter quote that I found interesting when Zach interviewed him yesterday was he, Baxter obviously was committed to FSU in 2020, decommitted, I believe, in 2021, if I recall correctly, committed to Texas here a few months ago. But FSU is the school he grew up liking. He was asked essentially his insight on how things have evolved, grown over the past three three years with the staff. Before it was more, watch what we do, Baxter Jr. said. They were telling me their vision. I couldn't really see that first because it was when they first got here. Now you can really see the vision, the growth that they've made, and the progress that they've made. So I just thought that was a uh, quote that kind of stood out to me as a kid that is a fan of FSU in Baxter. I think it's also a positive quote just that a recruit is kind of recognizing that, regardless of whether or not FSU gets them. One other young man I think Zach omitted when he was talking about was Keldrick Falk. He caught up with him as well. Uh, the quick version of that, I think I'm done with my recruitment right now, which is good news because at one point he was going to Tennessee this weekend FSU essentially talked him out of that, got him and his mom and his brother all on campus for this weekend. They seem to all have a very good time.
1: That was big uh, to make sure he wasn't at Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. For this yeah, weekend that, specifically.
2: That atmosphere at Tennessee is one that creates emotional decisions. Um, yeah, FSU had a ton in, uh, Zachariah Owens came in. He was there. We can confirm he was there. We've tried to catch up with him. He's the offensive lineman who was committed to Clemson late last week. Decommitted, showed up at FSU. Uh, word currently via the Clemson market is that there's a fair chance that he ends up back in Clemson's class, or at least he is trying to work in that general direction. We have tried to reach out for comment from Owens since he was on campus. He has not responded take that as you will probably not the greatest sign in the world because he was responding before to visit but that's where we are with that one just to bring it up
1: strange comings and goings
2: recruiting is the gift that's always giving <laughs> you need patriots here. some recruiting you think it gets strange wait it gets stranger
1: wait till an 18 year old gets options with money and fame and attention yeah all of us, but imagine having those options when you're 18 years old. It's nice, nice to have options in life. You can dictate some things. Zach, you mentioned this at the start of the podcast. I think it's an interesting talking point. Something to kind of at least flesh out a little bit here before we wrap up. And and that's the the fan experience or the recruit experience amongst the fans. You're sitting there, kind of opposite of the student section, of where the where the recruits sit to the home side. Listen, things did not go well in that middle eight. We've discussed and well-documented at this point. That led to basically an emptying of what was a pretty loaded student section to maybe like an eighth of the student section was still full by the end of it. Like it got pretty barren throughout the stadium, but really noticed there the student section. Um, You're watching the game from, again, a different vantage point than you weren't in the press box this week. So I guess what were you seeing? What were you experiencing? Was that atmosphere at all? were there recruits leaving i guess what what happened what stood out to you and is that a talking point that we should spend a little bit of time on here
3: yeah i mean i'll note on it because you're like hinting at it and basically forcing (laughs) me to talk about it no Um, we don't have
1: to you can say it's not worthwhile i'm giving you the option man
3: i mean you kind of already brought it up i'll just say i mean you said it in your column i believe um i think that's why everyone hated you um There were recruits leaving the the recruiting section um, that I saw, a few. Um, I'll just leave it at that. I don't know if that's a normal thing um, on losses. So it wasn't, you know, basically I didn't have a vantage point on that, um, on on other losses. But I did notice some recruits leaving. Um, I'm not going to get into more details. I'm not calling out. You don't
1: have to say who. No one's asking you to. I don't think it's fair to. you don't.
3: basically forcing me to. No, again,
1: I'm, I'm not. Don't laugh. Don't encourage this, Chris. Don't. Encourage no, you. I just,
2: I, I, I uh, it's a discussion that I think sort of. I'm not overly concerned that some recruits left. I, a lot of crowd left. Like it's on par with what occurred, and who knows? Did they have a hotel in town? We all know how expensive hotels are on Game Day. Did they have to drive home? I'd hit the road early if it seemed like it was a blowout, and I need to hit the road. I mean, it is what it is. Plus, parents make decisions sometimes, so I don't know. I'm, I. I, I I have no concern over the actions of any recruit. Well, I have concerns about one, but we talked about him a moment ago. Owens. I have no concerns about any other actions of recruits at the game. What occurred based off of the game?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a good thing to, to have people leave games early. Go on, continue. No, 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 not a good thing to leave. Oh, God, Brendan. Go
2: write a call, right call him about I it. I mean, when. listen, go everyone right to give me crap when,
1: uh, no, it's just sometimes I read into things and you think I read into it too much and then months later, and then some, months later. things
2: are far simpler than you want them to be.
1: Hmm. Okay. Travis it Hunt. wasn't a Continue. mass
2: exodus. There, there did not seem to be a general concern about it.
1: I didn't say it was a mass exodus. I said a couple. Yeah. Hell, I I thought about leaving
2: the press box around four minutes into the second half. You going to fault me for that?
1: No, I wish I could have left with you. (laughs) Are we done? I think so. God, it's so much more fun to cover when they are winning games. All right. We we really need a bye week. (laughs) <laughs> for Chris nee, for Zach Blossom, this has been Brendan Sudeau with On The Bench. Thanks for listening if you listened up to this point. Sorry, Colin.